Welcome to today's episode of Bench to Boardroom. Glad that you're back. Um, today's episode is is really good, uh, I think. It's with another friend from grad school, uh, Dr. Sarah Sarkey. Uh, Sarah and I worked together in a lab for about a year. I was uh, helping her with some of her research um, before I started my uh, own doctoral work. And um, her journey is different from everyone else's so far in that she actually started with her current company before she even defended. And she joined Takeda Pharmaceuticals six months before her defense as a publications director, or, I'm sorry, as a medical writer. And then she worked up to publications director, then she switched over to strategy, and she's worked her way up in this same company for over 12 years to the point that she is now the vice president of neuroscience and vaccines. So there's a lot of really good wisdom that Sarah shares and a lot of really good practical advice. So this episode is really, really good. You may want to take notes. I, I know that I do. Dr. Sarah Sarkey, welcome to Bench to Boardroom. Thanks, Cindy. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> it's really good to see you. So for our listeners who don't know you, why don't you uh, go ahead and introduce yourself? All right. So my name is Sarah Sarkey. I um, currently live just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, and I, I work for Takeda Pharmaceuticals. So I am the VP of Neuroscience and Vaccines for uh, U.S. Medical. Um, and actually, uh, you know, came out of academia where we were uh, sharing a lab at beautiful Loyola University, Chicago. Indeed. I think um, if, if my listeners have been listening to the first three uh, podcasts, you may notice a trend. I have started by just interviewing my friends from grad school who made the transition from academics to industry. And um, one of the things that I emphasized in the beginning was you never know where you and your friends are going to end up. And so like Sarah, when I think about you, I think about uh, like what movies and like cheap food and like whatever margaritas we could find that we could make at someone's house because we were all broke. Exactly. <laughs> yes. It's the um, nostalgic uh, broke grad school days where, yes, yes you're <laughs> excited to just, uh, yeah, have card night or something. <laughs> yes, exactly. And uh <laughs> And in fact, um, so yeah, you and I actually worked together for a year in a, in a lab, but then I ended up working with your husband for a few years while he and I were both finishing our PhDs and we all had our, our, our methods of getting through, uh, getting through grad school. <laughs> Mostly imagining what else we could possibly do yeah. to avoid what we were doing at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have a give it all up and, uh, and run away career path? Oh, I, not a really serious one, but I, I always said if I, if I could, I would just uh, start a dog grooming business. I was like, how soothing to just home pets and dogs and no one would ask me for anything. Um, yeah, it was my, my happy place. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've seen my dogs get their nails trimmed and they really are not happy. So <laughs> I think well, that's the thing, right? It sounded good. But yes, when we take our, our pets to the groomers, I'm like, actually, that looks like less fun than I thought it would be. It's more stressful than, than graduate yeah. school. <laughs> yeah. 
So but at the time it was better than spending, you know, midnight with, uh, you know, lab equipment as you're waiting for an experiment to finish. God, <laughs> uh, counting things on the confocal. Oh God, I still have an injury. I still have an injury. I, I broke a tendon, like I popped a tendon. I don't know. If you, I know this is a podcast, but my finger goes the wrong way. <laughs> and that is from constant scrolling on the uh, focus on the microscope. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> okay. War wounds, Cindy, war wounds. <laughs> realize what your turning point was when you realized <laughs> work-related injury was going to be permanent. <laughs> exactly exactly although I will say I, I I knew very early on that I was not cut out to be a bench scientist okay. um, I love science I love learning about science and doing science um, I do not love the 5,000 rats um, I did not love the waiting for gels to run and mm -hmm. and honestly I really wanted something where I I was you know contributing to, to maybe bigger, broader patients, right? It's not like I was doing translational research at the time, but, um, and I was very open about this too. I, I remember my, my PI was not too happy about me, but she understood yeah. <laughs> that I was not pursuing a career in academia. And I think she spent the entire six years trying to convince me that, that it really was better than I thought and I should just stick with it. <laughs> walk in on you one time while you were doing rat experiments and you were just like crying like I, I, I do was, oh my gosh I was anesthetizing a rat to do surgery right to put him into the stereotaxic to do brain surgery I was ablating portion of his brain um and that he just fell asleep and curled up on my hand like oh. trusting me and I'm like I am a horrible horrible person <laughs> and I was, was like 11 o'clock at night and I just started bawling <laughs> and she walks by she sees me she's like she takes the rat out of my hand puts him back in the cage and it's like maybe do him tomorrow <laughs> go home that's why I got into cells I I was not into animal research at all but you know cells cells just grow and then you can kill them and there's no remorse that you know they're just it, it is better it is better that's the downside to neuroscience research right it's really hard to culture neurons it is hard to culture it's true oh, yeah so what was your phd in uh so as in neuroscience um specialized in neuroendocrinology mm -hmm. so i was looking at uh, androgen receptors in the cerebral cortex right very basic research yes fascinating but very basic research Absolutely. So you didn't, so you were turned off by essentially, it seemed like what the, the methods and just the slow progress of, of bench research? Yeah. And, and again, I think at the end of the day, I think I realized just, I just was not going to be the person who could spend 20 hours in a lab and, and laser focus. I, you know, I wanted a, a little more um, kind of bigger picture, change the world. You know, I think all of us in our twenties were like, I'm going to change the world. And I was like, you know, how do I, how do I do that? Um, I am not going to be uh, yeah. the Nobel prize winning scientist, um, so. but I like learning science and I love the science, you know, I love understanding things. Um, so I wanted to stay in science, just not do it myself. I think there's a reason why they take our pictures on the first day of grad school. Because <laughs> that, that's when you're so excited, right? Like, I'm, I'm going to be the one to cure cancer. I'm going to be the one to. <laughs> and then the reality of, okay, write the grant, mm -hmm. spend, you know, years and years doing the research, find out it doesn't work, 
uh, write a new grant, <laughs> spend more years and years of research. Um, and by the way, uh, try to get tenure, try to get a position, try to get, you know, uh, a lab of your own. Um, you really have to love it. <laughs> right. Oh, isn't it true that only, I think I read something recently, only 20% of PhD grads actually move on to any sort of tenure track uh, professor position. It could be lower than that, but I think yeah, I, I know it is pretty low. I don't know the actual number, but I think you're right. And part of it is, I mean, you remember that grad students and postdocs are, are really cheap labor. Yes. Right? But yes. that doesn't mean there's positions for all of them. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I know some universities are actually getting better at this, um, about actually explaining all the things you can do with a PhD where academia is just one piece, right? They explain, you know, pharmaceuticals, they explain, you know, the healthcare system, they explain, um, oh gosh, I work with people who have a PhD and a JD, right? And they're, they're lawyers, they're patent lawyers because they understand the science piece, right? I think yeah. that, and I will never regret the education. I will never regret getting the PhD because one, it's got me where I am today, but two, it makes you much more versatile because mm. you, you know how to learn, right? You know how to evaluate science. You know how to be skeptical. Um, yeah. And I think it's a unrecognized skill set. Um, yeah. Critical thinking. It is. It's not, you know, everyone's like, oh, yes, PhD, PharmD, MD, all the doctorates, like, but they are very distinct, right? Um, I think a PhD is more about deep dive, how you learn, um, which to me translates really well to, you know, just understanding how things fit together rather than just saying this is how things work and I'm going to execute those things yeah no I think that's actually why I barely passed gross anatomy <laughs> nothing mechanistic oh, yeah. about anatomy uh, memorize all those things I, I have the same issue with like pharmacology I'm like oh gosh I can't remember all these things you can't memorize all this show me how I need connections I need a story <laughs> absolutely I'm really good at pathways right this connects to this and this does this <laughs> So when did you, so you didn't do a postdoc, right? You went straight to industry. I did not actually, I, I actually joined industry on the promise of defending my dissertation. Mm, so okay. I defended my dissertation about uh, five months after I joined Takeda. Wow. Okay. So how did you, so how did you find this job? So you're, you're finishing up, you're writing your dissertation. How did you, how did you get that interview? You know, at some point, I think it's a uh, right place, right time. Okay. Um, and and I, I I was literally like, I I don't want to be in academia. And you know, our my PI was not helpful. She did not want me to go to the industry route. So she was like, you're on your own. Um, and so I just I started looking around, right? And um, I found a a uh, it was a posting, right? Um, and you know, science postings, right, on Indeed or, or any of these, right, sites, um, and it was for a medical writer, right, write up people's research, and all I could think is, like, oh, I can write my own research, I can certainly write someone else's, um, and it's entry level, right, um, it's like, all right, I can do this, um, so I, and, and you'll laugh at this, because this is actually, I, I tell people this, and they're like, you, you're not serious, I'm like, kind of half serious, so when I went to interview at Takeda, um, and I'd interviewed at a couple places as well, right? Maybe not the best fits, but I, I interviewed at Takeda, which was in Chicago, right? Where we um, went to grad school, where you were living. I was like, great, local. Um, and 
I was you know, meeting with everyone and the other medical writer on the team who was interviewing me was wearing the exact same shirt. Like, you know, the, uh, again, cheap Kohl's special, right? <laughs> you know, it's like the, the one nice shirt I, I bought at Kohl's and, uh, and it was like the exact, like the exact same shirt, same color, everything. Um, and so I, I did, I spent like 10 minutes talking to the hiring manager about, you know, wow, it must be fate because you're wearing the same shirt as my current medical writer. And, and yes, obviously we had a good conversation about writing and, and yeah. how to do this stuff. But I, I, to this day, I'm like, I think she hired me because of the shirt. <laughs> Interesting. I... <laughs> That's funny. So yeah, then it, it's, so part of it is fate. Um, sure. I think part of it is, yeah. And, and this is, one thing I, when I, I look at people's, you know, CVs now, um, I think the one thing is being able to translate yes. the skills you get in grad school or in, in the lab into something that will be useful for the company you're working at. So, you know, I could talk about my research, I could talk about all this stuff, but the one thing I kept pointing out is, you know, I can synthesize, I, you know, I collaborate with other people, we write together, right? I'm really good at understanding the language, um, how to communicate, right? Understanding what they're looking for and finding those skills in my CV, even if I'd never actually done the job before. So that's, you know, something I look for now. And I tell people all the time, they're like, I've never done this job. I'm like, doesn't matter. What have you done that translates? And he's using the same skill set. Highlight that, right? Yeah. Use the you know keywords that are in the job description. Mm -hmm. um, I love to translate skills across all different experiences. And I think that's so important because I was recently talking to um, a table of students at a conference that I was at, and uh, one of the students asked me afterwards about. She said, "Well, you know, I I've been you know president of my grad school society, or you know I've." been a committee member on like these small local things. And she said, you know, is that something that I should put on my resume? And I said, well, yes, absolutely. But secondly, you can spin that into these soft skills that apply to business. You know, you've, you've yes. led teams, you've managed budgets, you've given presentations, you've written minutes, you know, like there, there are soft skills that you acquire. That, so you're absolutely right. I mean, you, you could focus on the technical stuff that you've done at the bench, but uh, more importantly, you're able to communicate those results. You're able to um, uh, pinpoint uh, issues. You're able to, you know, write papers, and sometimes even getting your committee together required an act of God. So, I mean, there's plenty of skills <laughs> that we all exactly. <laughs> we all additional skills, definitely. Um, yeah, it's it's something I think we we forget, right? because we anchor on, I haven't done that job before, or I don't know how to do that job. I'm like, but every job requires very specific skills and competencies, um, like you said, soft skills, right? And that is what everyone is looking for, right? I could find a hundred people who, you know, know how to do, you know, you know, science or, or they, you know, they're a pharmacist or, you know, yeah. a doctor and, and they're like, I can do this. I'm like, but do you understand how to communicate that? Do you understand how to lead people? Um, you know, those are things that are hard to teach. And so the more you can show you've done them in whatever, you know, job you, you have. And honestly, being a grad student requires a lot of soft skills oh, yeah. <laughs> as a postdoc too. <laughs> I think you get a PhD in Microsoft Word just for writing a dissertation. 
wedding <laughs> rights. Oh my god. So how do, how does one practice that? You know, uh, um, like practice communicating science, especially in grad school, where a lot of times they want to focus specifically on you know I did these PCR reactions and I controlled with these things. I mean, it's less about the story that you're telling. It's more about the individual trees rather than the forest, so to speak. So how do you think? Yeah. And that's a hard one. And and honestly, I think, you know, as I've progressed in my career, I, I've gotten better at that because when you first start, you do want to give all the details. You want to set it up. You want to take a half an hour to explain your methods and, and then how you got to the end and then a big reveal. And um, yeah. unfortunately, most executives have stopped listening after the first five seconds. Um, so it, it's really hard. You almost have to flip that narrative, right? What is the point? What are the top three things that you want to make sure the person in front of you understands and then build backwards because then people will ask questions, right? You can provide as much evidence as you want. Um, but it was one of the, the things I realized early in my career, um, especially, you know, being in, um, you know, I, I'm in obviously on the medical side and I have been for, for my career. Um, when you're talking particularly with your commercial colleagues who maybe don't have that science background, and I could pinpoint the exact second they stopped listening to me because you see the glaze go over their eyes and you're like, oh crap, I have ventured into the too much sciencey realm, pull back, go a little higher level. Mm -hmm. um, because at the end of the day, it's all about understanding whoever is in front of you, what they need. Yes. And not what you want to convey. I think that's great. Making it relevant. That's great. And especially... Maybe you've noticed this too, but giving lectures remotely makes that incredibly difficult. You know, either when oh, you're communicating to people in commercial or you're commi you're communicating to doctors, and maybe even talking a little bit about, say, a phosphorylation event is actually a, a key point in your presentation. You have to talk about it, but you don't see how many people are glazing over and how many people are actually I'm multitasking. <laughs> Oh my gosh, they're all multitasking, sure. But but I think that's a really good point. Understanding body language is, especially in medical affairs, is so, so important. If you can sense someone starting to back away from you, that's your cue either to wrap it up or let, let's let's take a step back in terms exactly. of- Exactly. It's, yeah, again, it's that um, kind of, and I go back, so, you know, I- um, my background in obviously in science, but also in psychology, right? Which is, uh, you know, in behavior and understanding people, you're, you're right. It's the body language. It's the subtle, you know, eyes. <laughs> it's the, um, you notice a bunch of people are starting to try and um, say something because they're like, okay, I need to stop this now. <laughs> you're going too far. Um, but it is, it is a skill. It's, you know, um, but it, it's, it's something I think that you know, as a scientist, you have to deliberately say, I need to think about what I want to convey first yeah. before you go into that presentation or go into that room. Um, because, you know, if you just start talking, you get excited, right? And and sometimes um, people are coming with you <laughs> because yeah, you're right. you know, maybe they don't have a, the background you do. They don't, sometimes you get the, I didn't understand the word you said um, because it was really highly technical and you didn't explain it. Um, because we forget we live in a world of jargon. Um, true. No, that's so true. I think in general, that's a good take-home point, regardless of where you're coming in. If it's a technical presentation or if it's just 
a negotiation. You know, these are my top three things that I want to convey. And you, you stick to those three bullet points. I think that's great. It, it is. And I, you know, I always start with it. And then if you have time to explain, and then you end with it, yeah. right? So you are sure that they got the things you wanted them to understand or the things they need to make a decision. Perfect. Right? If you're asking for endorsement or, or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it makes sense. So you start as a medical writer. What's it like writing uh, writing about other people's research? It, it's <laughs> it was a little bit of a shift, um, and I I will say I benefited from um, a manager um, and uh, my medical director at the time who really were patient in explaining how business works and how um, you know pharmaceutical company works versus academia. Because if you're writing your own stuff, you tend to be like, all right, I can, I can deep dive in this. I can figure this out and I'm going to write it. And, and really what I had to learn was, was actually how to have a conversation with the authors, how to have a conversation with the PI of the study and understand what their main points were, what they wanted to convey, and then help them with the background to get there. And again, it's all about flow and, you know, making sure, you know, you had the appropriate evidence, obviously in the paper, um, but it is a little different when you're you're basically representing a committee, which is the authors, versus being one of those authors and having a, a vote. <laughs> As a medical writer, you don't get a vote. <laughs> well, and the biggest stakeholder of all, which is your company and and the head of your company, you know. So what yes. what do they want to convey as well? Exactly, and and that comes in. I mean, you know, when you talk about the writing, right? You're writing up an individual study, but but really it's that big picture. And that's, as I moved up in my career, I, I found that I really liked the more strategic communication plan, right? When you write you know, manuscripts, we're doing lots of studies, right? We're doing preclinical studies, we're doing clinical studies, we're doing real world studies and really saying, okay, what is the goal? What do we wanna communicate? And then what studies will actually provide the evidence to be able to legitimately say that, right? How do we want to, what, audience we want to get to. Um, that's what I, you know, as I, I moved up, you know, I like writing the research, but I found that I really liked the, how it all connects together and, and then how it connects to all the other things that medical affairs does. Yeah. Because um, a lot of people don't understand what medical affairs and pharma is. Mm -hmm. They're like, okay, sales? No. R&D? No. <laughs> kind of sits in the middle. Um, and it's a lot of communication. It's a lot of you know, providing more real world evidence, um, evidence for providers, right? The, the doctors, um, you know, the increasingly the nurses and the payers, um, you know, everybody who has a stake in this and the patients, right? Everyone has to understand the information so they can appropriately use the product we're, we're selling, right? The goal is not to get everyone to use the product, it's to make sure the most appropriate people get it who need it. <laughs> I, I completely agree. And in fact, I remember thinking, I was talking to somebody at one point and he said something to the effect of, you need to have maybe half a dozen different versions of this presentation, depending on who your audience is. Yes. Uh, and in my world, it'd be, um, is it a glaucoma specialist? Is it a general ophthalmologist? Is it an optometrist? Is it a PhD? Is it a pharmacist? Is it someone in market access? You know, and each person is going to have a different uh, background, a different uh, fundamental understanding, but then also they're going to have a different goal in mind. 
whether it's making it more affordable, whether it's how well does it, you know, treat the disease? Uh, how comfortable is it for the patient? How difficult is it to access? You know, um, how is it made? Everyone's going to have different goals and, and different ideas in mind of what they want to hear. So I, I think that goes back to what we originally talked about in terms of those soft skills. If you understand your audience ahead of time. And then it's all about pre-planning, right? You, yeah. you, you have to know, you have to understand what the person in front of you wants and, and what is their goal, right? What do they need to know to make whatever decision they need to make? Or I, they just need education, right? Or they're just, they have a lot of questions. Um, I think sometimes we, you know, we're all very, you know, smart people, right? We're all very excited about our, our, our you know, positions, our, our jobs, our programs, and we want to convey everything. Um, but, right. but nobody likes to be lectured. Um, they like to be listened to first. True, true. And I think I've been told more than once, definitely more than once. Uh, I had no clue what you were saying, but I like the way you said it. <laughs> exactly. You're so excited. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah. Oh, you're obviously very excited about this. I'm not quite sure what you were talking about. <laughs> right? Oh, shoot. I just, I just lost you. Sorry. Yeah. So, no, you're absolutely right. That's, that's a, that's something to keep in mind as, as you're talking. So then, so, so now, Unlike our previous guests, especially our, our previous guest, uh, Julie Tesloff, who has uh, jumped from a couple of different positions between academics and industry and back, you started at Decada and you stayed at Decada. I did. Um, and, and the reason I stay is, um, one, I mean, you know, I, obviously I started as a medical writer, mm -hmm. right? I am currently the head of our neuroscience and vaccines uh, yeah. franchise for, uh, for the U.S. Uh, medical team. Um, and so Takeda has given me a lot of opportunities to, to grow, to learn, I, um, to explore other things. Um, I, I also will say that, um, you know, I, I find the biggest, so everyone gets very excited about the job or the, the you know, the company. Um, I find, you know, it's all about the people you work with <laughs> and the culture of the company you're at. Um, I, I really do want to be at a company that I feel values me, feel values my expertise, um, values patients, um, and, and is really taking a, um, you know, a hard look at where we fit in the bigger ecosystem. So that's why I stay at, at the company. Um, one, because I feel I can grow here, um, and I have. And two, I just, I really like the culture of the company and the people I work with who are amazing. So any of them who are listening, you're all amazing. <laughs> you're amazing. <laughs> That, that's wonderful. So then um, I guess, how does one go from medical writer to Veep? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, to be fair, it's been a long time. Um, <laughs> uh, so I have been there a while. Um, 12, I, I think part of it is 12, what? 13, 12 or 13 years? 17 years. 17 years. Okay. I was 17 years. Yeah. And I have been in this role for about three. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, and, and again, I think part of it is understanding what you want. I, I think that's really hard, right? And it's not about the title, right? Um, I, I get a lot of people says, I want to be a VP, I want to be a CEO. I'm like, that's great, but why? And, and what do you like about it? Um, I think it's really understanding what you like and then making deliberate choices when they show up um, and, and talking to people, right? Letting people know you are interested in other things, taking developmental opportunities. Yeah. Um, so, and 
I, I also will make a huge, huge um, shout out to, you know, finding a really good mentor. Um, also a really good sponsor. So I don't know if um, people are aware of the difference, right? Yeah. But explain the difference. So a mentor is someone who you can bounce ideas off of, right? Who can help shape you, who, you know, really can say, you know, let's think through this, right? What could you potentially do for this? Um, it's awesome, right? Everyone needs a mentor um, and you get something back, right? It's a two-way street. Mm -hmm. A sponsor is really more of a person at a higher level who can champion you, right? When they're in a conversation and there someone is saying, you know what, we really are looking for someone like this. And they're like, hey, I know someone who can do that. And I think she'd be really interested. Um, do you want to talk to her, right? It's almost like in, um, it doesn't have to be at your company, right? You know, all of the networking events, um, you know, people in farm, it's very, um, it sounds like a big world, but it's not. It's very insular. Um, people move around companies all the time. So it, it's someone who can just say, I know someone and I can get you in touch with them. Or, hey, that would be great. You should talk to so-and-so. Yeah. Um, so it, it's good to have both. Um, and I think part of it is I, I benefited from a lots of good mentors over the years, but also a really good um, sponsor who always said, you know what, which I think, and Cindy, I'm sure you've heard this as well, right? Um, women tend to, to not go for a job until they're absolutely sure they can do it and be yes. excellent at it. Yes. And, and my sponsor who, you know, complete transparency, he was a, a, a male, right? He yes. was a, a physician who would look at me and say, I think you can do this. I'm like, I'm not sure. And he's like, shut up. I know you can. <laughs> like you don't have to be perfect you've got the skills you can grow in the role and I know you can do it so just do it <laughs> okay so you, you hear that listeners you can just just do it you've got just the just, skills you can do just it just do it you know it's it's all about like I said leveraging the skills mm -hmm. it's not about I know how to do that job I see that's good because I the one thing I look for when I'm hiring people is not a I've done this job for 10 years and I can do it in my sleep um, it's a, I would love to understand how you do this job and what's how, how I can contribute to it, how I can make it better. I I'm really interested. I am always looking for someone who comes at it with, you know, a learning growth mindset, right? I want to take this to the next step and I want to work with you to do so. Um, cause I always say, I, I prefer to train someone than untrain someone. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Sometimes, you know, people are like, I've done it for 10 years. I can always do it that way. But the pace of our industry is moving so fast that we are changing constantly. And I need someone who can change with me and who will not say, I, I, I can't do it that way. Yeah. There's been a lot of books about growth mindset uh, recently. I know um, I have a couple on my bedside table. <laughs> I, yeah, I've got a whole bookshelf behind me over here of all the <laughs> Yeah, there's a, children, so it's a, you know, that's a big thing in the schools too. <laughs> yeah, oh, I bet. Because I, I, I've realized that I, I think in academics, it seems like there is a certain, there is some growth uh, mindset in there, but a lot of it is you're just very used to doors being shut in your face in different ways, you know, and that's kind of what guides you. You know, this experiment didn't work, so I got to pivot to something else. And then that didn't work, so I got to pivot to something else. Or we don't have that equipment. We don't have that capability. We can't do that animal model. We don't have a grant to support that. You know, so it seems like um, 
I don't know, to me, it seems like growth mindset has to come from a place of almost like abundance. And I feel like there's a lot of scarcity in, in academics, especially when you're a student. Yeah. And it's true, right? It, it makes it harder. But but I also think, you know, you can totally say, all right, well, I don't have that. But how can I get to that goal with what I've got now? Mm-hmm. Or how can I flag this as saying, you know what, anytime we got some extra funds in here, this is what I want to prioritize, because this is what is going to move the, the needle. Mm-hmm. Um, it, to me, it's just all about thinking, a how do I do this better? Um, and, and for fair, complete transparency, I, I hate the term best practice, um, because it assumes we figured it out. And, and we found the best practice. Mm-hmm. I like the what's that baby step to make it better? right? And try that next step. And if it doesn't work, oh, well, we learned something, pivot, try something else. Because we should always be looking at how to make it better, how to make it more efficient. Um, Because you're, you're right. I mean, and, and, you know, yes, pharma has probably more resources than, than a lot of academic institutions, but not infinite. Um, It it really is a, um, you know, we spend a lot of money on, on research and development, but I don't sit in research and development. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah. All right, so maybe I just revealed a little bit more about my personal mindset than mindset. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it, I don't have, I, and yes, I, I, my team is always like, I would love to do this. And I feel so bad. I'm like, oh, we don't have the funds to do that. How could you do it cheaper? <laughs> right. Or maybe you could leverage another team who's doing that. Um, and, and do that together. Yeah, I love that. It's all about creativity, I think. <laughs> so are these, so then these are things that you kind of learned along the way. So then how, I guess, how did you, how did you make the jump from like publications director then, you know, medical writer, publications director, and then upwards, you know, from yeah. the, eventually you left the writing behind and you started working more on strategy. It is. And I think that comes down to um, kind of, how, at least, you know, in most of the companies, um, I, well, at Takeda and then most of the companies I, I know other people who work in, it's how medical affairs is really structured. So you have the kind of strategy leads, right? The therapeutic area leads, the people who are saying, all right, here's where we need to be, right? And it's lined up with all of the rest of the company, right? It's a bigger, broader strategy. And then you have the functional expertise, right? You have the, the publications people, the, the education people, the, the scientific communication teams, MSLs, right? Field medical, um, you've got all these functional groups and, and there's more, I'm not naming them all, right? No one needs a lecture on medical affairs. Um, <laughs> but, I think, <laughs> but I think part of it is you, so I was obviously in that functional realm, right? I was excellent at publications, publication strategy. I really liked it. Um, but I, at some point you have to make a choice. Do you wanna be a functional expert? Um, because that takes you farther away from the science mm-hmm. um, into more of a, you know, what does good publication planning look like, right? You know, how do you understand, you know, the journals and um, the Congresses and how everything fits together versus do I want to stay on this more science side and really go up into like medical strategy? Um, And so it was, you know, it was a choice, right? I had to stop and think, what do I really want? And kind of comes back to what I was saying earlier, right? Not a title, but a skill, right? What do I like? And when I, I sat down, I realized I like 
the strategy. I like the, the big picture. I like putting the jigsaw puzzle together so yeah. that everything fits together perfectly and it gets to the whole. Um, and so I, I deliberately made a choice to jump onto the other side. Um, and so I was in a global role in publications. Um, and then I moved to the US medical organization. And um, I'm not sure um, the titles are all off now, but really more of a kind of a scientific strategy, almost like um, strategic operations type role. Okay. Um, and so I moved over that, over to that side so I could really work with our medical directors and figure out kind of how we, we shape the strategy. And then I got to work with my publications colleagues, right? And, and work with my other colleagues. Um, and so then I um, moved up in that, that's, um, you know, from that position, I, I moved up, gained more product expertise, right? You, you start to, it's all about growth, right? So you start with one program, then you start with the portfolio, um, multiple products um, until I was really in a position um, when, you know, the previous uh, VP of the, the neuroscience um, field left. And, and really he was like, you know what? You could totally do this role. And, and I was like, you know what? I could, right? Let me talk to the, <laughs> let me talk to your boss who now will be hiring the role and um, make my case, right? I think a lot of it is you sometimes have to convince people they can do it. Um, I, I will say I took a little bit of a risk um, because it is a little bit untraditional. So this um, VP role is typically a, a medical doctor, wow. um, typically as an MD. Um, and so there was a little bit of a back and forth. Mm, are, you, are we sure? Um, so I actually did the role as an interim for six months oh, um, okay. with no guarantee that I would be named the permanent person. It was almost like a trial period to see if I could do it. So I had six months to prove that I could, I could do this role. Um, and, and at that point, it's a, it's a choice, right? I'm like, if I don't get it, I'm not moving back to my old role. That feels odd. Um, I'm going to have to move on, right? And find something else to do. Um, and so the same time I was doing the interim role, I was interviewing at other companies, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. To talk about other positions. Just yeah. keep your options open, right? Never put all, never put all your things in one side. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And then, yeah, I uh, obviously proved I could do it. Um, so they gave me the, the role permanently. Um, I guess that, that, okay, so that sounds incredibly stressful. Especially <laughs> yeah. the, the value of a good mentor who you can completely freak out with and be like, oh my God, am I making the worst choice ever? Should I insist that they make me permanent or else they're not going to give it to me? Should I just leave? Wow. <laughs> Should I stay in the role I'm in now? Yeah, because I mean, you, you've got, you know, your husband, you've got your two kids, you know, you, you move from Chicago to Massachusetts, you know, I mean, a lot of things got turned around for you guys as a result of this role. I mean, that, that sounds terrifying. A little bit terrifying. Um, I think you just have to, sometimes you just have to take a chance, right? Nothing is ever guaranteed. Mm -hmm. um, and you really just have to believe that you can do it, right? And that was probably the best thing. My mentor was like, you know what? It's like, you obviously want this. You're talking yourself into it, yeah. but you're scared. Yeah, like, I get it. You're scared. It's like, but do you want it? Like, yes, I do want it. It's like, then go for it, right? Love it. Figure out what happens if it, do if it doesn't work out, but you're confident. You can prove you can do this. Show the company you can. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So it's a lot of, uh, I think, just <laughs> sheer power of like, I want this so bad and I can prove I can do it. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes 
and, and I, I've talked to other, you know, female, you know, employees and, and women. And sometimes I think we're a little too passive and waiting for someone to give us something. True. I'm like, and, and I did have, um, uh, one of the, actually my good friends on a commercial side, we were talking about it and he, he was like, he's like, you know, nobody's ever going to know what you want unless you tell them. I'm like, you're right, right? I'm, you shouldn't wait for someone to give you something. If you want it, you know, figure out what, what skills you need to, to do that role. Um, ask people if I can, you know, shadow you. Can I, you work on a developmental project? Um, and then when the opportunity is like, here's what I did to get this role, right? Here's, I, I proved I can do this. Um, give me a chance. Wow. I'm, I'm inspired. <laughs> this is I, I will say one of the benefits too of being at Takeda for a long time is I had a really good track record. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So um, you have a PhD in neuroscience. Your, your whole life has been neuroscience. And now here come vaccines. <laughs> yeah. What the heck? How, how did you even manage that? Um, you know, that one was uh, uh, interesting. And let me preface this with, um, you know, a lot of times in, in pharma, it's here's our therapeutic areas, but oh, here is an opportunity and we don't know where to put it. So who has bandwidth? <laughs> so I, I will say before I actually, um, like several years ago, when I was in that more scientific strategy operations role, um, we were neuroscience and general medicine. Okay. So I, I also had a little bit of uh, gout. Um, I, I did a little bit of diabetes. <laughs> not um, you personally, topic-wise, okay. <laughs> not me personally. Um, my my programs were were around uh, and oh, and uh, chronic constipation, which sounds just as exciting as it is. I, that sounds um, amazing. Yeah, it's very exciting. Um, so I, I think it's a little sometimes opportunistic. Um, so yes, I'm asked a lot why neuroscience and vaccines, um, and one of it's just, you know, you had bandwidth. Um, <laughs> and so they, they trusted you could um, grow a program. I, I think the other one is, um, you know, again, it's, we, we anchor on, you know, I know how to do this therapeutic, right? We get our PhDs in very specific realms. Like I am an expert in one little thing. Yes. And, and that's what I said in the beginning, right? Don't discount the fact that our training is, allows us to learn. Yeah. and understand science. And the people I find to be the most successful are the ones who are, are willing to go outside of their specialty realm and say, I can totally learn that, right? I don't have to be the biggest expert in the space, but I need to hire people who are the biggest experts in the space. Yeah. One of, one of my mentors um, has started a couple of different companies in her tenure. And she, when I've asked her about that, she said the exact same thing. She said, I don't need to know all of this. She said, you know, I don't, I don't know about regulatory. I don't know, you know, about toxicology, you know, but I know people who do. And so I ask them or I bring them in, I bring them as consultants and, you know, and I, and, you know, I pay them to advise me on these things. And I mean, I think that's something that's, that's at least underappreciated. Cause again, going back to the academic mindset, we always feel like we have to know the answers. You know, it's yeah. so hard when someone asks you a question in a seminar and you're like, you don't want to say, I don't know. 
you have to say, oh, that's a great question. Uh, I guess <laughs> you know, drag it out, drag it out until you come up. Yeah, with that's a hard skill. And and that's the one thing as I've, I've you know, gone up in leadership um, is the thing I had to let go of mm. is being the expert on everything because I'm, I'm not supposed to, right? Yeah. I can't physically be the expert in all of my programs. Yeah. Um, I need to be able to rely on my people. I, I need to be able to hire people who, who bring that to me. I need to be able to have that consultant who I can just <laughs> call and ask. Um, and that's, I think, something we, we don't focus enough on mm-hmm. is deliberate. You need to deliberately let that go mm-hmm. um, and, and rely on the expertise of someone else. Yeah. Because in my role, it's it's all about, you know, how do I get the best out of my people? How do I make sure the whole franchise is is successful? How do I connect with my colleagues in R and D and commercial and market access and 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 how do I get rid of barriers for my people? Because I'm not actually doing their jobs, right? They're doing their jobs. Yeah, right. <laughs> but that's a hard thing for a scientist to say, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's really interesting. I haven't really thought about that. So then as you're interviewing, so I guess, let me ask you, do you, when you, what, what kind of candidates do you look for? Or when you are looking for say more junior people, do you look for postdoc experience now? Do you look for topic expertise or those soft skills? You did mention that you look for uh, their ability to apply the things that they've learned to your strategic initiatives. Yeah. But um, I guess if someone wanted to get your attention as uh, as a new applicant, what, what else kind of grabs your attention? You know, I think um, in addition to like that kind of learning mindset, right, where you're really looking at <clears throat> how do I use the skills I've gained in this role? Um, the other thing, I think, especially if you're you're coming in at, at a more junior level or more entry level into pharma, is, you know, have you put the, the effort into learning what this role really is? Um, it's something I wish I had probably done more when I was doing it, that no one explained these things to me. What is a medical writer? What is an MSL? What is their job, right? right. I've got people who are like, you know, I've, yeah, I've been in academia, I'm a postdoc, but you know what? I, I've talked to a couple people. There's, there's MSL organizations yeah. Um, there's medical affairs organizations where you can go and there's tons of stuff online about what does an MSL do? Mm-hmm. What does a medical information person do? Um, you know, all these roles that they have in pharma. That's what I look for. Someone who knows what they want and understands how their skills will fit in. Not someone who says, I want out of academia and this looked good. Because sure. again, you know, you want to see the effort behind it. It and I'm going to be completely honest, it's probably harder now than it used to be because we do outsource a lot of those type of roles um, just because of the nature of everything shifts so quickly. Um, so a lot of people we hire actually have some experience at vendors, right? Yeah. They've worked as a contractor for um, you know, a, a contract research association or a medical communications firm. Um, and so they get some, some skills that way. But I, I will say that the, the two big things I look for are just that that passion to, to learn and grow um, and, and show me that, you know, your learning curve will be pretty quick because you're, you're <laughs> shown you can do it. Um, 
and and two just really understanding what you're getting into because yeah. I, I always look for someone who is wants to go to something rather than get away from something that's probably a, that's probably a really good uh really good approach <laughs> if you can tell me why you're excited about this job that goes the long way oh for sure versus you spend uh, 20 minutes complaining about your current job oh geez yeah that's almost like a first date, right? If you know, they spend the first half of the date talking about their ex, then they're probably not the person for you. That's one of those soft skills, self-awareness. <laughs> yes, there you go. Well, I actually, going back to medical affairs, I, I actually compare it to dating kind of a lot, you know, because, <laughs> because it is, you know, relationship building and understanding body language and um, when to figure out that they're really just not interested in talking to you. You know, and you exactly. probably should stop talking to them at conferences or, you know, this person's maybe a little bit, uh, you know, I'll, you're punching above your weight class. Maybe don't do that so much. You know, I mean, I think that's that's important. <laughs> it is. I, I never really thought about it that way, but you're right. It It's all about, you know, just and, and so I'm going to preface this with this is my current obsession. So, you know, take it for what it is. Um, okay. I've been really getting into the behavioral economics lately. Okay. Um, so I don't know. Um, the University of Chicago has a huge behavioral economics center. And, and actually one of their researchers won the Nobel Prize in like 2017 wow. for behavioral economics. And okay. it's all about how we make decisions, how we think. Mm -hmm. um, and I apply this all the time to, you know, leadership qualities, to medical affairs, right? If you know what motivates people and you know how our brains work, because obviously I'm a neuroscientist, right? This is all about, you know, the brain works and drives behavior. But if you understand how the brain works and what kind of information will, you know, push people in one direction versus another or, or how their, you know, their body language looks, they're obviously listening or they're not. Um, there's a whole field of thought about how you actually take what our brains are designed to do, right? All the little shortcuts over evolution is designed us to keep us alive and how you can use that. Um, and my husband calls it manipulation. I call it influence. <laughs> I mean, do you use it on him? <laughs> I, I swear I do not use it on him. <laughs> he's not in the room, is he? <laughs> no, he's not in the room. Um, but no, it's, it's all about like, because in my organization and a lot of organizations, right? You work with a lot of people that you have no direct authority over, but you need to get them to do basically what you want, right? What you think is the, the way to go forward. And it doesn't work to just tell people to do it. You have to work with them and get them to think, ah, this was my great idea and I would love to do this. Yes, thank you. That's perfect. I approve. Um, but yeah, that's so that's my current obsession, behavioral economics. <laughs> I love that. Actually, yeah, my, my mentor would call that planting the seed, you know, and exactly. he was, and he was very good at that too. You know, he would, he would get very good at mentioning it in passing a couple of times. And then one day we would walk into his office and be like, I had this amazing idea. And he'd be like, you don't say that. That, that's that is awesome. That is an amazing idea. Thank you so much for coming up with that. Yes. Definitely do that. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> And it wasn't until later I was like, "How dare you?" So it does feel like manipulation. It does. <laughs> Called influencing, Cindy. It's much you know nicer word. <laughs> it is a much nicer word. So now, 
Um, a lot of people, especially when they're young, they worry about balancing, you know, family and work. And certainly, you know, we see postdocs, you know, female postdocs trying to make a decision, you know, do they want a career? Do they want a family? I mean, how does, I mean, how, in some ways, how does that influence your decision? And how, how are you able to, to balance? You and Jay have been married for a long time and, you know, yeah, uh, 20, 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. We got married very young. I am, I am, you know, barely over my 23. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you just look like babies in your wedding photo. You're, you're exactly. So we, are. <laughs> we were babies. babies, obviously, but you know, early 20s, <laughs> so young. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it, I'll be honest. It's very hard. Mm -hmm. Um, especially, and, and you do have to make that choice, right? How are you going? I find if you go in with your eyes open, it's better, okay. right? You need to figure out one, you know, what are the goals, you and your spouse, right? I think one of the, um, so Jason, my husband, obviously he also has a PhD in neuroscience um, and having two academics in one household is really hard, right? Because you have to go where the science leads and, um, and, and then I got a job at Cicada, which was then not movable. And so at some point, you know, you make that decision, okay, who are we all in on? And, and who are we going to say is the, the primary career, right? Um, and, and it doesn't have to be the one that's, you know, makes more money or the one that, you know, it's, it's really about, you know, you have to decide that for yourself, right? In your family unit. Um, and so we decided we were all in on my career um, because, you know, I was, I, I loved it, right? I still love it. Um, you know, I was doing well. Um, and, and, you know, he's got his own passions and, and he's pursued them, right? Um, but the other thing is, you know, you do have to understand that, like, I work a lot of hours and I travel a lot. Um, and so we have cobbled together, you know, for when our boys were little, we had a full-time nanny um, because we needed someone who could do all the scheduling shifts and, and my boys are years apart. So, you know, trying to do school and daycare and, and the different schedules, that's not possible. And yeah. a lot of people I work with either have full-time help or they live by their families. Yeah. Um, so grandma can help out, um, you know, or one spouse stays home, right? Um, you know, Jason is a, he, he went back to school. He got his PA degree. So he's a, a physician assistant. Um, which is a much more flexible job, right? And so he's take time off, right, to, to be with our boys. Um, and, and, you know, those are just trade-offs you have to make. And, you know, I've got, I know people who both spouses work, right? And they've got, you know, very complicated childcare arrangements. Um, but as long as you go into it, knowing what you are doing, you just have to, to balance it. And, um, you know, people always talk about work-life balance and, and it's not really like one or the other, it's more work-life integration, right? Especially that. in this new hybrid environment, right? You know, I can take a call at eight o'clock at night um, after dinner, right? Or, you know, like I, I was telling you before we got on this call, I took my, my youngest to play basketball at the gym for a couple hours in the afternoon because I didn't have any meetings. Um, and then I got back on my computer when I got home. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's all about figuring out, you know, how you make your job fit in your life, mm -hmm. but also being very honest with your spouse and your kids and, and, you know, or if you don't want kids, right. That's also, you know, very valid choice or, you know, or you, you know, 
want to take some time off. Um, that, that's the one thing I, I'm like, dang it, I was just, I had my kids too early. Um, because now we have amazing maternity and paternity leaves <laughs> that I did not get to take advantage of. <laughs> and I'm like, every time I turn around, someone's out for six months. <laughs> Do you see people who take time off um, to spend time with their kids when they're young and then try to get back into industry? You know, I, I've seen people who come in and out, but more so I see people take different jobs. So it's not like they leave industry, but maybe they take um, a field medical job, which is a little more set your own schedule, right? Yes. Where you set up your meetings and, and as long as you meet with your, your thought leaders, you're good, right? And then maybe once their kids are older, then they come back into a, a home office role where it's a little more like, I got to be there for these calls. Um, or, or you see people go back and forth to vendors, right? Where, or contract work. Mm -hmm. um, where I'm going to do, you know, and I'm going to set my own schedule. So they're not leaving the workforce, but they're shifting their jobs to accommodate in different phases of life. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I when you were talking about work-life balance, I, I think I remember someone saying to me that it's not, it's not common to have work-life balance at the same time. It's more over like the long, like the, the yeah. long, the bigger picture, you know, you, because you're always going to be, all in on something for a long period of time and then maybe you take a little time off and then all in on something and then you take some time off and it's more like waxing and waning rather than a real 50 50 day to day week to week month to month you know and certainly when i was field medical um i would usually take one week uh i would call it like my, my home office week my, my administrative week where i would do all of my expense reports and I would plan my travel for the next month and answer all those emails that have been piling up and return calls, et cetera, you know, but it was also my chance to be home with my then fiance. I mean, could go out for dinner and, you know, like you said, if I don't have calls in the afternoon, you know, we lived in Oregon, let's go for a hike, you know, we could, we could do things together while, um, cause the rest of the time I was traveling three, four days a week, you know? And so it's, yeah. it's difficult. So there's, and I think you're right. It has, there's like the whole process of change management, right? You know, you, have, you set expectations and say, this is what's going to happen. And this is why it's going to happen. And exactly. It's, fun. it's all about just in moving forward. Right. Yeah. I, I always say, you know, things will happen. Things always happen. Unexpected things, right. You know, a, a program fails in clinical development. Oops. No, we don't have that product. Right. Or, you know, or personally, like, oh my gosh, the housing crisis, right? <laughs> or, right. Um, or, you know, somebody, you know, sick. Things always happen. Um, I think that if, as long as you are very deliberate about, okay, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to move forward and still maintain that kind of long-term goal, right? How, you know, maybe it's delayed or maybe I need to shift for a couple of years. Um, I think when my, my boys were really young, like I said, I, when I was in publications, I was in a global role. So just flying to Europe all the time and time zones, like everyone's on different time zones and it was really hard with really little kids. Mm -hmm. um, so part of the reason why I was looking at the US team was because it's the US and, and travel <laughs> is shorter and, and the hours are very, you know, much more, uh, you know, during the day, I didn't have to wake up at two in the morning to get on a call with Japan. Um, so it's again, making those choices and understanding that it's right for me in the moment. Sometimes you have to prioritize your family. Sometimes you have to prioritize your job. Sure. So then 
I guess with that in mind, you know, your, your boys are getting older and, you know, you guys have your, your, don't your, remind me, Cindy. Don't remind me. <laughs> you look the same though. I mean, you, you look amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the kids get older, but we somehow don't. It, it's kind That's of right. We stop aging at 30. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Didn't, mm -hmm. isn't that what your mentor used to say? She celebrated 28 every year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my, my sister recently turned 25 times two. She, oh, she, there we she go. want to acknowledge. Yeah, she's no, 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 25 times two. That's fine. <laughs> and um, it's just a number. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Sorry, you didn't no, interrupt. <laughs> no, that's okay. So, like, what? I guess, what's next for you? What, what comes? What comes next? Do you think? Oh gosh, that is the million dollar question. Um, I think right now I am still having fun okay. and learning new things every day. Um, I, you know, we've got an amazing pipeline on our, our neuroscience side. And I am really excited to, to help grow that and, and build out a bigger, broader portfolio for, for the company. Um, you know, some things that are truly identifying like patient need, right? And so I'm, I'm really excited about that. Yeah. You know, I think to me, you know, when I look at the future, it's, you know, when you stop learning new things every day, um, my, my whole goal is just not to be bored, right? I want to make sure I'm having, making a difference and I'm, I'm excited and I'm learning new stuff. Um, you know, I think at some point, right, I, you know, once my boys maybe are, you know, in the way, way future, Cindy, way future, way future. Um, you know, in college and out of the house, um, I don't know, it, it might be fun to go to a, a, you know, maybe a smaller company um, where it's, it's a little more, you know, you know, drive something really innovative because that you're all in on it, right? Because the security is not as <laughs> important at that point. Um, I mean, there's benefits from big pharma and, and small startups. Like we were talking about that before we, we got on the, the call, but um, for good or bad, but um, for right now, I'm, I'm happy where I am. I've got a great team of people um, and I can see the future um, of neuroscience. My, my goal is just to, you know, really drive this forward because, um, and I'm sure you too, right? This is like the era of neuroscience, right? It's There's been some amazing developments and I'm like, oh my gosh, we need to capitalize on all of these, all right. fix some of these really intractable diseases. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, I think this this is actually a really good theme among the first like, three interviews that I've done for this podcast is everyone has talked about growth, you know, and, and Alicia said the same thing as you. I I want to learn new things. I want to acquire new skills, you know, and, you know, Julie talked a lot about the same thing, you know, just find, same as Alicia, same as you, you know, find the thing that you're really passionate about. And, and if you stick with that, then you're kind of always on the right track. And, you know, you like you say, you may have to jump a little bit between positions, depending on what era of your life you're in. But as long as you still love what you do, or you love your topic, I mean, that's really what matters. Exactly. And I, again, I think people see, well, I've got to do this this year and this next year and this next year in order to be CEO and, and 10 years. And, and, and I'm like, you know what? Sometimes your path like wiggles all around but you're always going to gain experience from every role, right? Even if you're, you're not ex super excited about the role, no one is an indentured servant, right? No one is going to sign you up and say you're stuck in this for the next 10 years. Yeah. Right. Take it, take the skills, you know, you learn, um, all the, the other big thing is, you know, I meet so many different people. 
um, in all of these roles, right? And and all of these, you know, um, you know, more networking events or organizations or you know, just working with the the different therapeutic areas as well. And all of those are people who, you know, someday you may, I'm going to reach out to them, right? Um, I'm going to connect with them. So never discount the value of the network of people, you know. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's something that I tell people all the time, especially as scientists and God forbid, especially now with phones, it's so easy to just not talk to anybody. You know, you, you, you grab your little, your little plate of crudite and a glass of wine. Like I just, I don't want to talk to anybody right now, but you <laughs> never know who you talk to that might end up being this incredibly, this incredible influence in your life moving forward. Exactly. And, and people reach out all the time. Like, remember, I met you here. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, you know, potentially knowing more about this. Do you know anybody? I'm like, oh, actually, I know someone. Let me put you in touch with them. You can ask them all your questions you like, or, you know, yeah, you're like, you know what, I, I've got this question. And oh, I know someone who has actually done this, right? Mm-hmm. Who I can actually leverage. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and- especially in this whole hybrid world, right? <laughs> it's it's a little harder, but that that's an actually really important uh, aspect of yeah. And I think, you know, it, it kind of go, it goes back to this idea that like science doesn't occur in a vacuum, right? You know, and we always need to reach out to either other thought leaders or the person who has that technology or that resource or that animal model, you know, and it applies now too. And I think um, one of my mentors, her, her, the, one of the best things that she does is she knows everybody and she loves putting people in touch with each other. You know, you almost can't have a conversation with her when she doesn't say, oh, you need to meet this person. And then next thing I know, there's a virtual introduction, you know? So um, I think my, uh, a lesson for whoever's listening would be to reach out to people. If you, if you want to know more about a position or you want to uh, maybe find someone who knows how to do this your own network or you find people on LinkedIn. I mean, there's nothing wrong with going up to a person at a conference and saying, tell me about your job. You know, yet you, you take the free piece of candy or you take the free piece of swag, <laughs> but you can also ask them, what do you do here? People exactly. love to talk about that. I, and, and that's the, the biggest thing I, I think we all worry about ourselves, right? But I will say the biggest learning in being in medical, which is, you know, more talking to, to everyone else is mm-hmm. people love to talk about themselves. So you ask them a question about, tell me about your work. Tell me about what you do. You don't have to say anything for the next 20 minutes, right? They will tell you all about themselves. Oh yeah. Um, and so it's, you learn a lot. Um, I, I think we focus on how do we present ourselves? How do we reach out? And some of it is just, you know, learn to listen and you will take so many pieces of information away. Oh yeah. And that's actually a perfect segue because yeah, we're, we're about to wrap up, but I mean, I'm just thinking I've taken so much from this conversation with you and my conversation with Julie, my conversation with Alicia. And like, these are pe- like, these are people that I would probably like reach out to and say, how are the kids? How's Jason? How's, you know, how's, how's Worcester? Uh, no, Worcester, you live in uh, Wellesley. You know, oh, how, mm-hmm. how are you? Know, we would talk more about like probably social things, but like this conversation has been amazing, Sarah. I feel like I need to do this more often. 
I know. And, and, you know, you were talking about, you know, some of the other people we went to school with and I'm like, and I'm thinking of back my man. I'm like, I should really talk to them. <laughs> yes. Because you do. You see, you know, yeah, you, you, you see like their kids or, or, you know, you know, the cute cats like on the, the you know, Facebook or Instagram. Right. But you don't think about them as they're truly part of that kind of ecosystem of, you know, healthcare. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and and that's the other I, I I run into a lot of people who you know come out of academia, and the first thing they always tell me is, you know, it was really hard because everyone told me I was going to the dark side when I started to look at pharma, and, <laughs> and I think we need to break that wall down because we are all in this together. Um, you know, everyone thinks pharma is oh, you know, they're so evil, but there we do amazing things, and and there's so many more things that, that we do that no one pays any attention to or right. understands, right? right. It, you don't have to be, you know, there's not just sales and art and research and development. There's so many things. Um, and we collaborate so much with academia and healthcare institutions. Um, so it's not a, a me versus them or us versus them situation. It, it really is. It's just part of the same system. Right. I, I completely agree. And I think it's more like basic science, but on like a larger scale, you know, and that was something that you talked about is something that Julie talked about realizing, you know, you're counting androgen receptors and axons and, you know, Julie's quantifying um, heat shock proteins and another part of the brain, you know, but, and you're realizing well, like, this could be a therapeutic, but I don't want to treat you know, uh, facial nerve injury in, in hamsters, I want to treat it in people. I want to treat, you know, um, insomnia and chronic migraine and these other things, you know, like there's there's actual diseases out there that your skill set could could help out with. And so, no, I, I agree. One of the things that I want to do with this podcast is to kind of knock down some of those barriers um, and encourage people to learn more about what options are in, in industry because we're really nice people. <laughs> And, and it's okay to make money and have a nice life and not write grants. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the thing, right? You know, that the basic science is so critical. Yes. But you really have to be all in on it and, and love it, right? Yeah. And, and if you're, you're not gonna, you know, if that's not your desire, right? You don't want to do that. There are other options, right? Because there's always going to be some amazing scientist who loves to, you know, dig down deep into that. And and they will be the basis of the, and they'll get their Nobel Prize, right? <laughs> they'll be the basis of a, a therapy in the next, you know, 10, 20 years. Um, and I, more power to them. I think it's just, sometimes you realize that's just not going to be you. <laughs> Some of the people who are the key opinion leaders and all the companies that I've worked for so far are people who I met as a graduate student. Whose papers I read, whose posters I saw, who, if I was lucky, they came to my poster. You know, and, and I had a little all starstruck and like, oh my gosh, look who's yeah. here. I'm starstruck <laughs> for some of these yeah. people. But then, you know, you get you get a chance to work with them because their science is the foundation for the therapeutics that are now being made, you know. So it's it's really not that far of a leap. So I I, I love emphasizing that to people. That's that's great. That's a good point. It, it is. And, you know, we, we still get to talk to all those people, right? Uh -huh. Even if we're not, you know, running those studies or, or you know, geeking out anymore, um, we geek out in new ways. <laughs> talk to me more now that I'm on the industry side, because they're like, so what are you guys interested in now? <laughs> <laughs>
And I, I, there's one doctor, uh, there's one scientist who asks me all the time, like, how's your stock doing? I'm not telling you what do you think. Stop that. That's <laughs> right. No insider trading. Exactly. You're like, come on. I can't tell you that. He's like, I know. I just thought I'd ask, you know. But <laughs> this was someone who never spoke to me when I was a student just because, you know, he was up here. I was down here. And now, you yeah. know, somehow, somehow making that leap kind of levels that playing field in some weird way. And it gives you some confidence, too, which is good. It does. It does. And, and yeah, I think in our roles too, you know, it's exciting when you bring, you know, two, you know, labs together, two KOLs together and, mm -hmm. and, you know, let's work on a project together. Yeah. And they're like, ah. but at the end, they're like the best friends and they're going <laughs> off doing new things. And um, so it's, you know, it's a, a different approach, right? It's a different part of that ecosystem. Right. But, um, it's still fun. And, I still get to talk about science all the time, which is cool. <laughs> well, Sarah, thank you so much. This was a delight and you shared so many good pieces of information. And um, can people find you on LinkedIn if they want to connect or? Oh, yes, I am definitely. That's probably the only social media that I, I am actually, you know, good at um because like not <laughs> all the others. And my my 15 year old is constantly yelling at me to stay off of his site. So um Yes, I, I feel free at LinkedIn. Um, I am always happy to talk to anyone. Awesome. My Instagram is all like dog and cat photos. So <laughs> oh, my favorite. those are my yeah. favorites. Sarah, thank you so much. And um, yeah, and then uh, we'll cut that out. That was awkward. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Cindy. It was so good to talk to you. I just want to thank Dr. Sarasaki again for joining me today and for sharing all of that wonderful insight with all of you. And um, yeah, see you next time.